Welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey where we talk with people who are trying to live their most fulfilling life, which often tends to be on a much different path than it started out on. Whether it was changing careers, getting laid off from a job which sparked their entrepreneurial journey, or breaking through the noise to answer their calling. All of these types of situations and more, but they wouldn't have gotten to where they're at today if they didn't get started. We talk about the why and the how of these getting started moments and the lessons learned along the way. I'm grateful to have you listening in along on this episode, so let's get it started. On this week's episode, please welcome in Rob Chestnut, who is an author, investor, and former general counsel at Airbnb. Let me give you a quick background on Rob, and then we'll jump in the episode. Rob works with companies to help develop strategies to drive integrity into their culture. He was most recently the chief ethics officer of Airbnb, a role he took in late 2019 after almost four years as Airbnb's general counsel. Rob is a graduate of Harvard Law School and the University of Virginia. He worked for 14 years with the U.S. Justice Department, where he prosecuted bank robberies, kidnappings, murder, and espionage cases, including the prosecution of CIA employee Aldrich Ames. He joined eBay in 1999 as its third lawyer, where he led eBay's North American legal team and later founded the internet's first e-commerce person-to-person trust and safety operation. Rob subsequently spent nearly six years as the general counsel and first attorney at digital education leader Chegg, where he helped take the company public in 2013. He joined Airbnb in 2016, where he grew the legal team from 30 to over 150 legal professionals in 20 offices around the world. His team led initiatives to promote home sharing and address regulatory issues with local governments and landlords around the world. Rob developed a popular interactive employee program, Integrity Belongs Here, to help drive ethics throughout the culture at the company. And in July of 2020, he published his book, Intentional Integrity, How Smart Companies Can Lead an Ethical Revolution. And we actually talk a lot about integrity, ethics, those type of things as we weave in his story, which is really tremendous in terms of the ebbs and flows it went throughout his career, going from a federal prosecutor all the way to companies like Airbnb. I hope you all enjoy this wide-ranging conversation I have with Rob. So without further ado, please welcome in Rob Chestnut. Rob, great to have you on the podcast, man. Glad uh, glad to have you and uh, excited to talk with you. Thanks for having me, Brian. Well, I know we have a lot to cover here because your, gosh, your career spans so unique. Um, you know, I, I, I've been fortunate. I've had a lot of great guests in the podcast. Yours is one of the more unique transitions. I mean, to go from federal prosecutor to investor, like, you know, you don't see that, um, that transition often. So I want to start here. You can take us wherever you want. Um, maybe give one example, at least potentially two, if you want, you can get more, it's your, it's your interview, but, um, what would you say to get to this new journey you've been on, you know, going into more internet companies, investment, all that stuff, was there a turning point or two that you remember that were that was very glaring to get you off the federal prosecutor path and onto this path? Oh, definitely. Um, the the business of putting people in jail is is hard in that you know you see a lot of young people going away for a long period of time. You see a lot of uh, families uh, in the courtroom. Uh, there's a lot of sadness, to be honest, and I. 
You know what? I, I, I prosecuted some, some large cases, uh, including some espionage cases that were really interesting. But at the end of the day, I wanted to do something a little more positive. And I, I always liked business. Mm-hmm. And so what I started doing, Brian, was I, uh, uh, I got curious uh, about the world, really, because mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't, it wasn't an easy transition. Um, you know, I would talk to companies and they'd say, wow, you were, you're a fabulous prosecutor, but we don't prosecute people here. Right. Um, so I, I, took, I took some advice from a friend and started really engaging with the world. And one of the things that I did, um, uh, there was a, uh, I kept getting a lot of phone calls at, at work about this little company in Northern Virginia where I was a prosecutor. And the other prosecutors were calling me about this company. They wanted records from this company. They wanted to prosecute this company. I'm like, what is this company doing? And the name of this company, this little company, was AOL, America Online. Mm-hmm. Now, many of your listeners are probably too young to know about America Online, but America Online was the way that everybody used to connect to the Internet in the early days. So I, you know, being curious, you know, got this disc. They, they used to mail out these discs. Right. Right. I stuck it in my computer and plugged it into my phone, and I started using the Internet and uh, became an early internet adopter as a result. And one of the things that, uh, one of the the websites I got introduced to was this tiny company called eBay. And, you know, one night I'm uh, I'm at home and I'm on the internet and it occurs to me, wow, I bet eBay's got problems with illegal items and fraud and regulation. I bet they could use somebody like me. So, you know, I go online. They don't have any jobs, you know, posted. I, they're in California, San Jose, California. To be honest, I wasn't sure where San Jose, California was. But I, I, I didn't let that stop me. I, I sent them an email uh, to jobs at ebay.com with my resume. And uh, they, I expected never to hear from them again. Uh, but they called me the next day. And two weeks later, I'm having dinner with Meg Whitman, the CEO. Mm. Uh, it turns out they're, uh, they're, they only had 170 employees. They were on two floors of a building when I joined the company. But I think, you know, the, the, the curiosity of, you know, going out and, you know, learning about new things and then you know, not being afraid to be turned down and just, you know, trying some different things, I think it was a real turning point for me. I, mm. I like the idea of changing things up. I like the idea of um, switching around your career path a little bit because I think that's, a, that, that's how you uh, often, I think you, you advance a lot, a lot more than the old way of, you know, working your way up the corporate ladder. Mm. Uh, I like the idea of jumping around, like the idea of a career as a jungle jump. Well, the story you just shared, I, I want to ask something just more curious if you go back that time, because it sounds a lot around digital assets, cryptocurrency and stuff nowadays, where it's like you have a, you have a small pe- amount of people that are onto that and realize the benefits of it. I don't mind saying I'm one of those. I, I see the, the utility and the benefits. And, and then there's a whole bunch that are like, wait, what is this? It seemed like, and I was a little, I'm a little younger than you, as we know, like, Back in the 90s, like I was, you know, I was still in middle school into high school and stuff. So I I knew a little about the internet, like we just got a computer and stuff like that. But could you share like, where were you on the internet? Was there a lot of folks around you be like, internet? What the heck is that? What are you doing? What are you trying to do? Like, nobody, yeah, my friends, most people weren't on it at that point. Yeah, I remember at work, when you wanted a document, you know, you, you wanted a document, like a brief put together, you literally had a uh, a, a little typing center, a place where you would uh, go and get them to type up your document. 
And then you would handwrite changes on the document and take it back. And they were the ones doing all the word processing. People didn't even have computers on their desk in the early days when I was a prosecutor. Uh, when I took the job at eBay, I would say that uh, about 80% of my colleagues looked at me like I was crazy. Uh, like you are quitting this great, you know, I was running the major crimes unit in a really great jurisdiction and I had all these exciting cases. Now you're going to quit that, the security of a, this job to go work at this tiny little company on the other side of the country. And the other 20%, I remember one guy came up to me and looked at me and came to me and said, uh, I think what you're doing is genius. A few people got it back then. A few people saw what the potential of the internet was, mm -hmm. but I would say that most people didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could imagine that was, and and I and I guess that's one of the questions that comes up a lot on the on the podcast. So I'll ask it around, you know, your identity. You were known as a federal prosecutor. You were a really really damn good one, right? From what it seems like, that your identity was that. How hard was it for you mentally, right? In kind of those internal dialogue, kind of in the in the darkness of the night when no one's there, where you have to deal with like. How were you able to shift that identity and now you're part of an internet company and something that was way, you know, off the rails? Was that yeah, hard? You know, I, I think you don't get, you know, you shouldn't get too attached to your old identity because uh, I think uh, it, it will keep you from growing. Uh, I, I like the idea of stretching. I like the idea of having multiple, uh, you know, being known for different things. You know, like I, I was, when, in another example is when I was, uh, I joined eBay and I was their third lawyer. Uh, and uh, I you know, advanced to the point where I was running North America legal for the company. And I'm thinking, well, I'm doing, you know, this is really great. And I'm, you know, maybe one day I'll be a general counsel, right? And the CEO of the company called me in and said, Rob, we've got a real problem with fraud. We've got uh, you know, scammers on the site, ripping people off. Um, we've got a, we got no department that does anything about it. We need somebody to do something about it. I said, I agree completely. <laughs> and she said, I, I want you to start it. I said, I said well, you know, wait, wait a minute, I'm a lawyer. I've made this great, this big transition from being a federal prosecutor to being an internet lawyer. I'm pretty proud of that. But now you want me to stop being a lawyer and build basically what was you know, later known as trust and safety, the first internet trust and safety department. Wow. Uh, and I was a little, you know, it, it took me back a little bit, but it turned out to be the best thing I could have done. I, uh, I learned so much. I ended up, you know, building the team from scratch. It was nearly 2,000 people when I left it five years later. But I, that, that's how you grow. That's how you learn. You, um, you, you give, you, you're, you don't get too attached to your old identity. Yeah. Well, I like that point too, is like you, 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 you kind of took the bull by the horns and said, all right, I don't know anything about this, but I'm going to figure it out. We're going to make it work. And if it doesn't work, well, we, whatever, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, but at least you're going to try. Yeah. It, it helps having people who believe in you. I mean, I looked at my CEO and said, I don't know anything about, you know, uh, this sort of stuff. And she said, um, I know that she said, but I believe, I believe in you. And I think you're going to figure it out and I'll give you, I'll give you all the help that you need. Uh, I'll give you all any all the resources you need, uh, but I'm going to trust you to figure stuff out. And I think at some point you got to trust, you know, you got to trust in yourself to figure some things out. I, any new position you take, uh, at least a third of it ought to scare the heck out of you. Hmm. I, I want to get your thoughts. I love chatting about serendipity. You, know, you mentioned one of those serendipitous moments. You know, if eBay doesn't email you back, 
who knows what happens, right? Maybe right. you decide like, ah, scrap this whole internet thing. Maybe I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. You know, who knows? Right? I, I applied for a job with Taco Bell. What if Taco oh, Bell had, had called me back instead of email, right? Right, there you go. And, yeah, and such, a, yeah. such a such a, a different, so can you share a little bit about maybe any of those serendipitous moments? Obviously, you know, you work with Chegg and then Airbnb, like how you got some of those opportunities, were those just random off the wall moments that connected the dots? I, right. I'm curious just to share some of those. You know, on one level, they seem that way, right? On one level, it's you know, there's a there's an element of serendipity and luck. But what I find is that um, serendipitous things happen to people who engage with the world. Yeah. So, um, like when I was a federal prosecutor, I applied to over a hundred jobs, mm. right? I mean, and, and um, most of them I never heard back. Uh, the few that I did hear back. Uh, I, I talked to, and it wasn't, didn't feel like a good fit. Right. So in one sense, the, what happened at eBay and getting me involved in the internet was somewhat serendipitous, but you can't sit at home and wait for the, the opportunity to, to knock. You've got to go out and engage with the world. And the more you engage with the world, the more curiosity you have, the more openness I think you are to different things, the more serendipitous things will happen to you. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating how if, you, again, action, you know, it's kind of the word I think to, if you have action, if you try to do something, at least some things will come out of it. They're not always positive, right? Who knows? We fail, whatever, but at least you've opened the door to new ideas and perspectives, you know? You got to be curious in the world. Yeah. And I, uh, I think that's one thing that I've done well with. I've been uh, open to different things. I've been curious about things. And I think the more curious you are, the more questions you ask, the more you interact with other people, the, you know, and if you got a smile on your face too, look, you know, you, you got to have a positive attitude and a smile on your face. People love being around other people who are smiling and having fun. Yeah. So I, I think recognizing the value of, of approaching each day with a positive spirit and a sense of curiosity, you know, you, you, it's something you have to work on a little bit sometimes and develop it. Uh, and great things don't necessarily happen overnight, but I think if you stay on that sort of course overall, you know, better things happen to you. Well, I, you know, I know a lot of folks listening in, you know, either have started companies or about to, they, they might be at larger companies maybe as well. And this may get into the, by the way, congrats on the book. Uh, Thanks. Yeah. I know that's a, that's a large undertaking. So uh, that's, that's awesome. And this may get into the book a little bit, but what have you found? I guess, you know what, let's just take it from both angles. What have you found is probably the best one or two qualities of great companies? And what have you found is maybe the worst um, that you've been at? So this is going to surprise you a little bit, I think, because the things are changing in the area of business. Uh, there's an old way of thinking about business. And that was, uh, that way was I think, articulated by a guy by the name of Milton Friedman back in the mm. 1960s, right? And Milton Friedman was all about uh, the obligation of companies is uh, a very narrow, singular focus, and that is on shareholders. Mm. If it increases profits, then it's good, and you must do it. And in fact, that's the only thing you should be doing. And that was Milton Friedman's approach. And I think mm. that shaped capitalism for the last 50 years. Uh, exec and by the way, I think it was a message that executives love to hear. And why, why do they want to hear that? They, they want to hear it because executives are stockholders, right? They all get stock. They get equity as part of as part of their job. And this is actually gives you a wonderful excuse 
to drive that stock price up. And when the stock price goes up, then you get rich. Mm-hmm. So this has been, I think, a message for to corporate America for the last 50 years. And there's a problem with it, though, Brian. And the problem with it is it focuses, it actually it gives you an incentive to do a lot of things in the short term. Mm-hmm. Uh, it encourages short-term thinking. And it also encourages thinking like this. Um, don't worry about the carbon that we're dumping into the air. Uh, don't worry about how we're polluting the stream next to the factory. Don't worry about how we're treating the employees and, and how they're doing. Uh, don't worry about the supplier on the other side of the world that treats its people really poorly. Fixing those things would cost money. Mm-hmm. And that would hurt our profit. And so, therefore, we're not going to do it. Uh, Brian, the world's tired of that. The world is, I, I think, we're, we're seeing an unprecedented level of inequality, uh, a gap between the haves and the have-nots. Mm-hmm. We're seeing uh, people recognize that, look, the, the world is increasingly connected. We need each other. Uh, you know, bad behavior in one part of the world affects others. And climate change is just one example. Racial inequality, racial injustice, uh, the virus, right? Mm-hmm. We can't all run in our own narrow lanes and, uh, you know, try to crawl all over each other in search of the almighty dollar. We actually need each other. We need, and we need companies to step up. We need companies to not only make money, which of course they need to make but we need them to solve some of the world's biggest problems. Employees now want more than a paycheck. They want to be part of a company that has a bigger purpose, that they want to feel like they're doing something good for the world when they go to work. Uh, customers want that. Customers want to do business. They want to buy from companies that are doing good in the world. We see so many examples of that. So companies are now under pressure to really change their way of thinking not just focus on what's going to drive up the stock price today, but think about multiple stakeholders. It's called the stakeholder approach to capitalism. Um, At Airbnb, for example, we had five stakeholders. Uh, Sure, our shareholders, investors were important, and they were a stakeholder, but our employees were a stakeholder, our guests, our host, even the world at large, we thought of as a stakeholder. So whenever we made decisions, we made decisions by looking at what the impact would be on each of our stakeholders and trying to balance things out so that we weren't always, we weren't focused just on one of those stakeholders. And it means you end up making some different decisions. Um, The interesting thing about it is that when companies get away from the focus, the pure 100% focus just on profits and start thinking about how they treat their employees, how they treat their customers, how they are interacting with the world, um, it, it actually sets off a virtuous cycle where they actually end up doing better financial in the long run yeah. by, by thinking about these sorts yeah. of things. I'll give you a great example. I was reading about this guy, Dan Price. He's the CEO of Gravity Payments. That's right, yep. All right, I don't know if you've, you've heard about Dan. Yep, Dan yep. Dan's the CEO that, was, that left, was leaving work one day, runs into one of his folks and says, hey, where are you going? Uh, one of his employees. And the employee said, well, I'm going to McDonald's. Why are you going to McDonald's? Well, because that's where I work. I have a second shift. I have a shift there. I work there five nights a week. It's like, why? And it's like, well, that's what I need in order to like have a have a place to live and eat. And that really hit Dan hard. The idea that he's working side by side with people every day who need to work 
a second job just to make ends meet. And Dan started doing some thinking about what, what do you need financially? And you know, he kind of discovered that to be happy, um, you need a certain basic level of, of financial security. Uh, but beyond that basic level, money doesn't equate to happiness. And he figured in, the, in his area of the world, in, in the Bay Area, that number was $70,000. So Dan went back and said, you know what, Employ the people that I work with every day are really important. They're critical stakeholders. Uh, I'm going to set a new minimum salary at my company of $70,000. And you know how I paid for it? He took his own $1.1 million salary and he cut it to $70,000. Now, Dan's going to do really fine, really well because he's got equity in the company, and as the company grows, um, he'll do just fine financially. But um, people said, oh, you're a socialist. This will never work. You're crazy. Yeah. Well, profits at the company in the last six years have more than doubled. They've been actually growing at the same rate they were growing prior to the time he made this move. Revenue's tripled. Productivity is way up, and attrition's way down. So the company is actually doing maybe even better than it was before. Yeah. And I think Dan attributes it to this idea of recognizing that it's not just all about, you know, today's bottom line profit. It's about treating other people, other stakeholders well along the way. And I think as a result, you'll do quite well financially. Yeah, I've been following Dan's story, and, and it's pretty incredible. And, and again, everyone may not be able to do that. But to your point, it's you look at different pockets of the company to say, hey, how can we improve here? And not just for, unfortunately, and you've probably seen this, some companies do it, I think, just for the showmanship of like, hey, we're doing something. Right. Others actually like, Dan, like take right. action and actually make the change. But uh, it's neither here nor there, I guess. But so many good examples of this. You know, there's yeah. a, a company, uh, I know this, the CEO well, called Etsy. And Etsy is an online marketplace uh, for people who are you know, make craft goods. So Etsy started looking and thinking about how its business was impacting climate change. And, you know, an easy approach would have been, oh, you know, well, you know, we've got lights in our building. We'll throw some solar panels up on the roof. Right. Uh, you know, we're an internet company. We don't really build anything. You know, we don't we don't have a product. So we throw some solar panels up. We're you know we're carbon neutral, right? right? But the CEO thought, you know what? That's that isn't quite right because all of the people that buy and sell on our website uh, actually are contributing to the problem because the goods are being shipped. You know, all the goods that are made and sold through the site get shipped. So they did a calculation and they worked with a company by the name of Three Degrees. And what they they figured was uh, they got involved in a solar a solar uh, project and a wind project, and they were able to offset the carbon created by all the shipping through their website at a cost of about one cent per transaction. Mm. Okay, uh, and so they what they did was they took they took their money and they put it toward these projects. They made their website truly, in a sense, carbon neutral. Uh, they put a note in checkout saying that your transaction, uh, the, the shipping for your transaction is, is uh, carbon neutral due to our partnership with these different projects. Uh, business actually went up. Business actually went up and more than covered the cost of, uh, of doing the solar and the wind projects. So wow. start thinking about other uh, shareholders, more than shareholders, think about other stakeholders. And that resonates with the world today. 
I'm actually just just curious. I take a kind of a sidestep uh, on, a, on a side road here. How did you, because you're obviously from a legal standpoint, general counsel, how, when did you get passionate about, because obviously you became the, the chief ethics officer there. Like, that's a big switch, I would think. Maybe it's, maybe you say, Brian, it wasn't that big of a switch, but like, how do you be, what was going through your mind to say, no, no, I, this is actually something that's kind of almost a purpose for me to, to change. How did you yeah. get that change? Well, remember, I like change. I like doing Well, that's true. That's true. Right? And uh, I really saw the world changing while I was the general counsel of Airbnb. And you know what really brought it home to me was Uber. Uh, you know, Uber's literally right down the street from Airbnb. And I noticed Uber was coming under attack constantly uh, for the way that their uh, drivers were being treated and how hard it was financially for the drivers to make a living, you know, paying for the gas and the, uh, the car repairs and the car payments and the like. And then Susan Fowler's blog post uh, about sexual harassment at the company. I mean, the company was just, uh, you know, it was clear that they lost their, their ethical compass, to be honest with you. And, and I saw it tearing apart their brand. I think they still struggle to this day as a result of those problems. And that, look, as the general counsel of Airbnb, I remember looking at what was going on with Uber. And I, I remember said to myself, literally, wow, that's the sort of thing that you know, we're seeing it all over the place with so many companies. Somebody better do something about this at Airbnb to make sure we don't have problems like that. And then I paused for a minute and said, I wonder who that somebody would be. And then I, I took the approach, well, why not me? You know, as the general counsel, I'm the one that's going to have to deal with the problems if we don't uh, get preventative. So I sat down with the founder, Brian Chesky, and we talked about it. And, you know, Brian and I didn't really have the answers that day, but Brian in his typical Brian fashion looked at me and said, go big. So we actually, uh, I took his word and we went out and did a lot of work and created an integrity program at Airbnb. Yeah. And the integrity program there was so well received by employees. It, it uh, transformed the culture. You know, Brian, you know, Brian came back to me uh, four years later and said, I never thought that ethics could be fun. He said, but that's what's happened here. It's extraordinary. And that's why I wrote the book. You know, just uh, th this idea, I think, that companies in the 21st century need to be thinking about this sort of thing if they want to reach their full potential. And uh, they have to do it with intentionality. It doesn't just happen, you know, uh, automatically. I'm curious from your end, because obviously you're, you're an investor now, you know, I, I think sometimes investment, you know, venture capital, all that stuff, sometimes it's a bad rap. It's like, oh, they're only looking for profits or whatever, and right. they're pushing companies. But how do you see that when you're talking about the intentional integrity and, and making these changes in terms of, you know, CEOs or, or the boards working with, um, you know, venture capitalists or investors? Like, how do you see that kind of playing out or working those, that relationship better to maybe take the stigma of, you know, that kind of relationship that how it used to be, or at least how you share it in the media, maybe is the best way to say it, it may not be exactly I, like that. I don't know. I, well, I, I think, you know, there, there's some truth to it, uh, but not all investors are that way. And actually, I right. think my approach in my wife's the same way, by the way, my wife and I are really aligned on this. Uh, we think of it as uh, investing with integrity. Hmm. And what we look for is we look for leaders that we believe in leaders that we, we think, operate with integrity and with long-term approach and multiple stakeholders in mind. We think that's actually a better, smarter approach to investing in the 21st century and that we'll be more successful as investors as a result. 
Uh, and I, I think I look for, for leaders and I look for companies that have a North Star that I believe in, mm-hmm. something that resonates with me as being something that's really good for the world. Because I think if it's good for the world, uh, they're going to attract talent, retain talent. They're going to get passionate ambassadors instead of just customers. Uh, and, and look, it, it's worked really well for me. And, I'm, uh, and it makes, again, it, it's, it's about having a life with purpose. I want to feel you know, making the most amount of money isn't my concern. Uh, I would happily take lower profits and work with a company that is actually having a positive impact in the world. The good news is I don't have to make that trade-off. There's a, there's increasingly no difference between doing good and doing good business. Oh, that's a great point. What made you want, I'm curious, just to ask about the book one more time, what made you want to write? You know, everyone doesn't have to write a book. Why did you decide to go down that path and write one? Yeah, I, I didn't really want to write a book initially. <laughs> it was, uh, I, I was a general counsel. And my, my wife, uh, early, she's a venture capitalist now. She was in the publishing industry earlier in her career. So to her, you know, like uh, to hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, to anybody who's ever been in the publishing industry, everything looks like a book. So I'm telling my wife about the integrity program that we've developed at Airbnb about the like incredible reaction we're getting inside the company. And she, of course, says, well, you got to write a book about this. I'm like, ah, I'm not going to write a book. Uh, like, I'm a general counsel. Uh, I've got a, you know, more than I can handle. It's a full-time job, crazy hours. I, I don't have time. And she said, you've got to do this. It's really important. You want to have an impact, you got to do this. And so I was like, oh. And she said, I will get you a writer and I will get you a major publishing deal if you'll do this. So, you know, when she looked at me that way, I said, oh, sure. Okay, you get me a writer, you get me a major publishing deal, I'll do the book. And, you know, true to her word, in uh, three months later, I had a writer and I had a major publishing deal with Macmillan, uh, St. Martin's Press. So um, at that point, I was was in. And, you know, look, I, I... I had the right, I told the writer, all right, uh, I'll give you every Monday night. And so every Monday night at six o'clock, uh, you know, Joan Hamilton is fabulous writer. Joan would come to the office and we would, uh, we'd grab some salads and we would sit in a conference room and work from, you know, from six until nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night on the book. And then she would go off during the week and she'd write based on our conversations. And then we'd go back and, uh, do it all over again. And I did that for 18 months. Wow. And, but you know what? I'll tell you, by the time I was done with it, I loved the book more than being a lawyer uh, because I, I love the idea of talking about uh, in business acting with integrity and having a broader impact than, than just on one company. Well, plus, also, you said you love change and you're curious. So it's like, I didn't want to write a book. Now I wrote one and it's a whole different well, Brian, <laughs> you know, one, of the, one of the best things about writing a book, you know, when you, when you write a book, you know, I went into it with this yeah, I know something about business and integrity now. I've been doing this at Airbnb, and so I'll, I'll share my knowledge with the rest of the world. What I found was that, well, you know, I start working with a writer, and we start asking more questions. You know, like, what's, is there any science behind what I'm doing, any data behind what we're doing here? So then what I ended up doing is I ended up going out and talking to other people. And what I found was that it was a whole new learning journey. Yeah. Writing a book is actually a learning journey. Yep. Uh, so I spent time with people like um, Dan Ariely at Duke University, who's a famous behavioral psychologist who studies, you know, dishonesty. 
Uh, I spent time talking to Adam Silver at the NBA, a leader I really admire. Uh, Carlos Santana is a uh, musician, yeah. uh, somebody who deeply believes in integrity. I talked with him. You know, former Attorney General Eric Holder. You know, these these are all people that I spent time with, and they taught me about integrity. And and a lot of what they uh, shared with me is also in the book. Yeah. Well. <laughs> This, is, this has been awesome, Rob. Let me, let's end on this, if I could. I mean, I could probably talk with you for hours. Maybe if you're open to it, maybe a part two. <laughs> part can two. Have at some point. Um, but let's say someone's getting started on their journey, um, and it could be anything they're doing, but they need that push. I, I like to say you have a Post-it note. It's sitting on the, the computer screen, so they kind of look at it every day. What words of encouragement, maybe it's a quote, anything you live by that you would share, maybe it's been the, the best thing you've learned in your, your career. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to what's your north star? What's your purpose? Why you know, you know, businesses have plans. Why shouldn't your life? Something as important as your life. Yeah. So I, I would encourage everybody to develop what you stand for, what do you believe in, and what do you want to encourage? Where do you want? You know, where are you gonna leave your mark? And then then you ask the next question. Well, what are you doing about? And you should always be doing something about it. You should always be working on it. You, you should, it, it, should all, it should be part of how you operate. And maybe it's your full-time job or maybe uh, you know, your full-time job is something that pays the bills and this is something that you're going to do in your spare time. But I think you've constantly got to be working toward that North Star. I think every life is far more meaningful and, and uh, I think enjoyable if it has that purpose and if it's something that you you keep on that post-it note, you keep it to the top of mind. I love that. And, and just to underscore kind of that whole, it's not a goal. Like if you get there, then what? It's always in the distance. You're always kind of going toward it and making decisions to get there, but you probably never reach it, which is a good thing. It means that you're always evolving and changing, you know? Yeah, if you reach it, the goal wasn't ambitious enough. I think it's, yeah. it's something you should, uh, it's something bigger than, than I think a, uh, a one task. Yeah. I think it's more of a philosophy or a direction. So you don't you don't necessarily ever completely reach it, but you keep pushing toward it. Awesome. Robert, if everyone wants to say hello to you online, where's the best place to, uh, what social channels do you uh, go go into? Uh, I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I do a post about integrity and in business several times a week. And anybody that listens to your podcast, just tell, have them reach out to me on LinkedIn and say you heard me on on, on the podcast and I am uh, be happy to connect with them and continue the conversation. There's also a website, uh, www.intentionalintegrity.com. And of course, uh, you know, the, if you, if this stuff resonates with you and you like the idea of business operating with integrity and want to get some ideas about how you can uh, build integrity into your business, uh, there's always the book. Uh, the book's called intentional integrity and it's yeah. available uh, everywhere. This is awesome. I'll, I'll link everything up in the, uh, the show notes. So Rob, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, absolute pleasure to uh, chat with you. I uh, so appreciate you uh, letting me share your platform with you here for a little time to, to talk about this. Thank you, Brian. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that great interview. And thanks again for stopping by. And just one more quick thing before you run along in your day. 
If you were looking for some more resources, some more insight, you know, inspiration, things that get you going a little bit further on your journey, feel free to head over to my website, brianondraco.com forward slash subscribe, and you can sign up for my weekly newsletter that comes out. That's more of a digest of a lot of information that I discover throughout the week, whether it's a new podcast I listen to, or maybe it's a great follow online that's very insightful, or a video I came across. I put that in a digestible form that you get once a week as well as I blog three times a week. And these are very micro-type blogs, one- to five-minute reads. They hit your inbox Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning and maybe give you a little dose of inspiration to get you going on your day. So feel free to sign up for those if it's something you might find as value. Thanks again for listening in. I hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Take care.